We're live. Thank you all very much for joining us today. It is Tuesday, a little bit after 1 p.m. Central. We found them. Dave Lee's back. How you doing, brother? <laughs> Good, man. Doing well. Yeah, yeah. Um, how you doing? Good, man. You've been a busy man. I, I saw you. Uh, you spoke with Emmett yesterday. You've been working really hard on this um, on this app that's uh, that's meant to teach languages. That's leveraging AI as well. It sounds awesome. I know you've been working hard at it. From my standpoint, I remember you went on your trip uh, for yeah. on, with a big RV trip. Then you you shared the story about you fasting and how you almost freaking died or passed out or something. And then you're like, I'm working on this thing. You disappear. And then people are like, oh, my God, you have them on your channel on the panel tomorrow. Do you have them hostage? What happened? <laughs> yeah. It's, Tell us um, all about what you've been up to, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, typically, I'm very focused on, on something, right? And typically, it's been um, my family kind of raising my kids and also investing and monitoring my investments. And I kind of share my thoughts, right, with others on my channel. <clears throat> the past uh, three months have been a lot, have been very different because I feel that there's been a title wave shift in artificial intelligence. And it's the biggest technological technological change of our lifetime, perhaps in the history of the world. And it's leading to some crazy opportunities that are gonna radically transform society. And um, for me, it's a no-brainer to actually see what can what you can do with AI. You know, see what kind of product or service or something that you can offer with AI. And so my focus has kind of shifted toward that the past uh, few months. Um, YouTube, as you know, like each video, it takes so much energy and focus. You have to have the title, the thumbnail, the content, you know, upload, editing, all this stuff. And um, so I wanted to conserve my focus and energy um, for this uh, new language learning app um, we're developing. But yeah, things are coming along uh, great and I have, I'm having a blast and it's fun. It's fun creating stuff and it's fun, you know, having a unlimited kind of possibilities open in the future. So um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I'm still wanting to to um, do more videos. It's just that I think um, there's a conflict, you know, where sure when I put my maker hat on, like I'm in it like all day yeah. from morning to evening and um any distraction is like it's taking me away from making this app. But hopefully, maybe when um, it gets closer to release, you know, maybe I'll have some more time. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to. Awesome, man. Uh, how do you do? You have a sort of thought about when that thing will be ready? Because I, I'd, I'd love to sort of see it come to fruition. Do you have a Do you have a thought as when? It's yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the problem right now is the language learning space is so competitive. So you release an app, nobody, no one cares about it. No one knows about it. Mm. It's, if it's not significantly better, like multiple times better than the best app out there, you basically mm. don't have much chance, you know, and mm. companies will spend, you know, tons of money just mark on marketing, et cetera. So um, <clears throat> it's going to be a uphill battle. Um, we, and my strategy is we might actually do a limited more release um, on our target audience, which might not be kind of the mainstream folks. So we'll see, mm. but um, hopefully we'll get to some early beta testing in the next few months. Um, but we might do it overseas and we might do it with children or young people um, awesome. and kind of focus on more of a targeted audience. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain more about this uh, uh, a little bit later on in the video because you talk about how it's uh, geared towards 
getting as much of the developing uh, nations sort of uh, equipped with the proper tools to be as successful as humanly possible, especially in an age where all of us are going to be able to talk to each other with the internet and sort of, you know, get to uh, work with each other and uh, sort of focusing around those main languages that can uh, really help connect all of us together. And so I think that's super admirable. And I'm, I'm going to pick your brain about this. Uh, I don't know, maybe this video, next one, but I yeah. just think it's so cool that you're focused on that and it's it's amazing, dude. So yeah, yeah. yeah. AI, I mean, AI is like, I think it's, it's coming to age and there's opportunities where we could use it to actually um, transform society in positive ways. And one of that is the whole, you know, rich, poor gap, um, the whole global um, disparity of, of, of economies and standards of living and the way you do it i think is through education and through opportunity and the internet opens up a whole new world but people just don't have access they don't it's not just they don't have inner they don't have the language they don't have um the skills and so once we can open that up for more people um yeah i think um we can see some positive change yeah, I'm about to change this title too. Let's talk about Dave's app because I'm so interested right now. <laughs> I really am. Yeah, yeah. I like I'm trying so hard. Okay, so let's do this. Let's let's touch on Investor Day for a little bit, and then let's come back to the AI discussion um, and and the app as well because there's just so much there to to talk about. But um, Tesla's Investor Day. So yes. uh, tomorrow, uh, it, it looks like 3 p.m. Central is when the live stream is going to start from Tesla. Um, in case you're not aware and you're watching this. Um, They'll, we're going to be hosting a watch party at Clive Bar in downtown Austin. Uh, it's uh, going to start. Oh, doors open at 2 p.m. We'll have a pre-Investor Day thing. Then we're also going to stream Investor Day into the bar. And then from 530 uh, up through God knows when, um, we'll have a bunch of panels. And then Dave's going to join me on a panel around 8 o'clock Central uh, tomorrow evening with uh, Pierre Farragou, Dan Ives, Sandy Monroe, uh, Sam Chorus from ARC. Um, and I'm I'm missing one person. Oh my goodness! How, Rob. Uh, Rob Maurer. How can I forget Rob? My God, I'm a terrible, terrible person. Um, but eight <laughs> o'clock tomorrow, come join us uh, at Clive. If you're around, if you can't get a ticket, uh, definitely come and watch Investor Day from uh, Clive Bar. If you are Investor Day, come after. Uh, we'll be there. We'll all be hanging out, and uh, we'll, maybe we'll see Sandy dance shirtless again like he did last time. <laughs> but. Uh, your thoughts around Investor Day, Dave? Um, obviously, you've been yeah. a longtime Tesla investor. You know the story really well. Where's your head at? Yeah, so this past week, I've actually been uh, reflecting a bit back on Tesla's history. And I remember back in like 2013 or 14, I was writing some posts on Tesla Motors Club. And the theory was um, Tesla is betting their future on this Gen 3 called it, car, they called it at that time, <clears throat> uh, 30 um um, basically, a $35,000 car, like a uh, BMW um, uh, 3 Series competitor. Mm -hmm. And Elon was saying that they could possibly sell like 300 or 500,000 of these cars in 2020. And that uh, people were basically debating whether or not that's possible and all this stuff. And for me, I felt the likelihood was, was super high because the Model S was so much better than anything else out there. They just needed to shrink the car. Right, make it more affordable. <clears throat> and my thoughts were already on the next stage, which was Gen 4. And so mm. my thesis or hypothesis back in 2014-ish was Tesla would likely be successful with Model 3 or you know their third gen, and that would set them up for their Gen 4 car. And their Gen 4 car would be this cheap kind of 
Corolla competitor type of, you know, that, that class and would set them up to become the largest auto manufacturer in the world. And I look back on that and I got so much um, uh, heat and flack from that because people just (laughs) didn't, they they thought that the gen three car was, was going to fail or was, you know, like even early model S owners, a lot of them thought that the chance of bankruptcy was quite high and that they would have a car that, there will be no company behind it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and then as we enter into gen, into this tomorrow's announcement, basically what Tesla is saying is they're saying, Hey, we've got this model three model Y, the platform, but that's not enough. And here's our next big platform, our next big push that will take us over the next 10 years, right. Of ramping and rollout. And this is the platform that will take us to become the, um, highest volume automaker in the world, right? This is the kind of turning point. And Tesla is announcing this tomorrow, right? And they've actually held back a lot of their signs and clues. Like Elon has slipped a little bit talking about their next generation vehicle platform. But generally speaking, they haven't uh, really addressed it, saying what's after Model 3 and Model Y in detail, right? And so tomorrow is is the next chapter. And this is actually significant because, you know, Elon has been talking about the this Model 3 um, platform since like 2013 or 14, and even before that, actually. And so Tesla's been built on the whole, you know, 35000 whatever dollar Model 3, uh, Model Y dream. And that has led us all the way to 2023. And so the question is, okay, what's after this? And so Tesla is um, set up to show us um, and, and a, a super ambitious plan to drop the cost of the car into the next level below, you know, this entry level luxury sedan, which is the Model Three and then the, and then the Model Y, into the more economy class cars. But the 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 Trojan horse I see in this is that Tesla is not an economy car maker, right? It's as if you had, you know, um, let's say uh, BMW or Mercedes you know, offer a $20,000 car that was as good as like, you know, almost as good as their their three series. It's like, there's no competition against a Corolla Mm -hmm. versus a Mercedes, but even more so Tesla um, bringing down their cost of their cars into their next category, let's say the 20 to $30,000 category. It's completely unfair because they're dealing with these economy cars that have completely compromised on everything about the car. Right? It's all about costs. If you drive a Corolla, it's like you can't compare it with, you know, a Model 3 or even even a BMW or Mercedes or whatever entry-level class um, sports sedan. And so that's what I think the bigger picture is, is, is I don't think there's any chance um, for these economy IC cars anymore. Like that's what the, the announcement is about tomorrow. Um, it's about the end of the IC economy car, it's not going to go over, go away overnight. It's not like a quick right. thing. It's going to take, you know, many, many years over time. But as Tesla ramps the next generation vehicle platform and they get that sweet spot, you know, 20, 30,000, um, it's like, yeah, it's, um, it's it's really the the beginning of it. It's going to get weird. I think it's going to get yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you bringing this up sort of 
uh, raises this question that, that I, I did a video on this, I think last week, where if you think about the, that pricing level, at least in the United States, if I use the United States as an example, name me a car that costs less than $30,000 that's actually compelling to drive or compelling to own. That it's not just a point A to point B transportation system that uh, you know is going to basically, like you said, just prioritize costs. You don't get any extra features with it, really, that I can think of. Again, I could be wrong that I can think of. And people, I think, have have gotten very used to the fact that they could drive, you know, well, I'm going to buy a Corolla because I just need something to get me from point A to point B reliably and cheaply. That's why I'm getting a Honda Civic. And they're great for what they do. They're phenomenal. But what are two things that are that are weaknesses in that uh, sort of thing? So the, the consumer, you don't really get something that I would argue is compelling, that can bring sort of that love and joy that I think a lot of Tesla owners agree on, that the cars bring to them. That's, that's sort of very unique with that experience. And then two, the manufacturers don't make any money on those cars. They make all their money on SUVs and pickups. And so they have no incentives to make these cars better because as soon as they do, they price themselves out of competition or they end up losing more money or you know, not no longer breaking even on those on those vehicles. And so I think as long as Tesla can keep uh, a, a, a semblance of driving dynamics that are that are close to or equal to an EV, which obviously they will because it's an electric vehicle, and you compare that to a Civic or a Toyota Corolla, and you ask somebody to drive both cars, it's going to be very obvious which one's going to be better. You're going to have the screen for infotainment. You're obviously going to have the safety record. You're going to have access to the supercharger network. You're not going to have any maintenance. You're not going to be uh, filling up with gas, which costs more than electricity, right? So you can start seeing <laughs> how these different things uh, start to stack up uh, against each other. But I guess the, the big question becomes, is Tesla actually going to be able to come out with a say twenty-five to thirty thousand dollar car that is compelling? And from your, from what you just walked through, it seems like you're quite, quite convinced that's the case. Uh, is that, is that true? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think the the ra rationale is actually how Tesla de designs their cars, where it's not an option to release something mediocre that's like a. Corolla, yeah, you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's just not an option. Like Tesla doesn't, you know, c consider that it's got to be a great car. Um, and so, what Tesla considers a great car is is not an economy, typical economy car. You know, it's it's, and that that's the other thing is, <clears throat> a lot of people thought the Model Three early back in the day, let's say 2014-15, they thought that it would be, um, it would, it would be an economy car. In, in a sense of its trim and its feel. And I remember I was like, no, Tesla's, that's not the strategy here. Tesla's not trying to make an economy car. They're actually going after, right, this BMW 3 Series market, <clears throat> that entry-level sports sedan market, and it will be a luxury car. And, you know, there were actually debate early on back in the day. It was like, well, what if um, Tesla services these economy, you know, let's say Model 3 cars with, in their service centers together with Model S and Xs, it'll be um, a, a, a big downgrade of, of reputation. You'll have these mm. cheap economy cars next to these luxury S and I X remember cars. That. <laughs> and owners will feel like, what's the, what the heck, you know? It's like our luxury brand is shot. And I think it's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what Tesla, their approach is. It's like, no, the, the three and why it, they were meant to be, you know, luxury cars. That's why Tesla services S, X, three and Y, it doesn't downgrade their brand by having three and Y It's because they have standards. And here's the thing is, I think this next generation car, <clears throat> it's not going to be this like cheap economy feeling car, right? It's going to mm -hmm. feel like a Tesla. And that's the biggest kind of um, 
knockout punch that I don't think people are expecting um, mm. is this is a real Tesla car. It's not like a cheap, you know, separate brand, like a Yaris brand or I don't know, whatever brand, you know, right. that, like yeah, they're not the Rio, making a, the a cheaper Rio. brand. Yeah. It, that's not Tesla's uh, uh, MO. Um, they're going, they're keeping their standards high. And that's why, um, yeah, I don't think anyone in the auto market in the, in terms of OEMs, they're not prepared for this. They, I think there's a misunderstanding of what Tesla's about. They think, you know, Tesla's more like, like, like them. They think that Tesla's going to, you know, cheapen the car and make like a Corolla, right? And that's the thing. Tesla's not going to make a Corolla, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will make a luxury car in the twenty dollars to $30,000 price range, but it will be luxury and you can't compare it with anything else, right? In that price range. Yeah. yeah. So are you, so are you, confident that they'll actually show this vehicle tomorrow or do you think they'll show plans how, how are you thinking about this yeah i don't know i don't think it's to their advantage to uh, release the design of the vehicle i think it's it's an investor day and i think if they just show um their um the back end the infrastructure behind right this car meaning you have the design of the car but you've got um you've got the the design of the factory right the machines the how, how it's manufactured and put together. Um, and so the, the floor space, how much CapEx it takes. I think that's what Elon was hinting at in the last couple earnings calls. Basically like half the cost in terms of Tesla's cost, um, like twice the output you know, of a factory and I mean, half the factory space. All, what all that translates to is like, it's gonna be much cheaper to build in terms of building new factories because you'll have half the factory space, double the output, all this stuff. I don't know if Tesla will really be able to achieve those exact marks because I think they're super crazy ambitious. Um, but I'd rather that Tesla tries to, to go for these crazy you know, marks. Um, I think that's the goal, at, at least, that Tesla has. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that the focus is how will Tesla drop their costs so much, let's say up to half? How will Tesla drop the factory space by up to half? How will they increase the output you know, by double? All this, all these, how are they gonna do it? It's basically a bunch of problem solving and engineering. So it's like, okay, we have this problem. Here's what, we're, what we've done to, to, to radically you know, shrink the, the factory space or increase output, et cetera. Um, yeah, so you're gonna have probably a massive uh, decrease in the amount of, of robots, of welding robots, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> a, 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 massive um shortening of the actual general assembly time to, it takes to manually like you know put stuff in the car um this is going to require a massive complete redesign of how a car is built um so you know i would expect a lot of giga casting or machines um in terms of involvement and a redesign of how the the actual cars is built in the end assembled right and and the, the amount of human um, labor involved too. All this is going to be radically different. So Tesla wants to show here is our game plan, right? Here's how we did it in terms of the mm. design. And I think Tesla is probably <clears throat> at least 75% done with this, you know, in terms of the the whole thing. I would imagine by the end of this year, they'll finish up, um, you know, every all the designs and, and um, probably shoot for production maybe second half of next year. That's my guess. Mm. Um, I'd love to find out more details, you know, um, but the question mark I have is, is when, like, is, is this going to be a robo taxi only vehicle platform right. or is this going to be something people can drive as well? Um, 
yeah, is, is Tesla going to sell this stuff? I mean, are they going to take control in, in terms of having their own robo-taxi fleet? Or can people buy it and lease it? Or, or I don't know, just so many yeah. questions regarding yeah, for why sure. is this a robo-taxi you know, vehicle platform and not just a, a cheaper car platform? Right? And Tesla's been very intentional to, to make sure that people understand this is a robo-taxi vehicle platform, not just... Right. A cheaper car vehicle platform so yeah interesting i i remember when when you and i spoke uh sometime last year i think you sort of put this in my in my like this little nugget in my brain where it's likely that this whatever this is uh that it, it could be a robo taxi like one that's purpose uh, purpose built for just hauling people around optimized for comfort for all passengers no steering wheels no pedals uh, nothing like that. But then you're also, it, it, there also seems to be another solution where it is going to be that Corolla disruptor, like that just destroyer. And the question between how those two platforms play with each other could be uh, the strategy that Tesla embarks on. Because And this is sort of what goes through my head, and I'd love to pick your brain on this. So I'll make a statement. You tell me if I'm if I'm thinking about this correctly or incorrectly. To me, it doesn't make any sense that Tesla focuses strictly on mass producing a robot taxi from the start because there are still uh, hurdles they have to go through i mean you're seeing the stuff with the uh, nitsa quote-unquote recalls that are happening in the united states is really the only region where they have full self-driving it's still um not feature complete uh, anymore in 2023 it's been delayed multiple times which is fine i'm not i'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing i'm just saying this is the state of where we are and so if Tesla's really going to be investing a lot of time into scaling production for the next say seven to ten years starting now then uh, banking your entire supply chain and production capacity on this robo-taxi thing being mass adopted globally in the next three years seems like a very risky move because then what that implies is that you're going to build up a ton of capacity, idle capacity or idle inventory on something that you're trying to get to 20 million cars per year by 2030. And so you need something in the middle <laughs> that will... Take those batteries and whatever you're building and sell it to people so that you're not stuck with either the capacity or, or the capacity to produce or the inventory. And that's where I think the this cheaper, still drivable, like you and I can sit down and drive it around, compact car comes in that will share a lot of the same uh, chassis, drivetrain, battery manufacturing process that the robotaxi takes that is going to use. But Tesla has sort of designed it in a way so that they can shift into the robo taxi once they feel like they've reached a point where they can start mass selling this vehicle. Tell me how, if I'm thinking about this correctly, uh, what, what, what are the weaknesses, the strengths? Uh, let me know where your head's at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, it's, you're seeing it yeah, correctly. Like there is a risk. Um, if you go all in on a robo taxi next gen platform that can only build robo taxis without a steering wheel, hypothetically, <clears throat> That and if FSD is late in rolling out the robotaxi capability, then you've got all these factories and expenses and things that you know you have factories that aren't building the cars yet because or many cars because the technology is late. Um, one idea. What do you think? Of, what do you think of this idea? Um, what if Tesla makes a the robotaxi? It's a robotaxi. Okay. It's it's okay. Let's say hypothetically, Tesla says, forget it. We're not making you know. Uh, human-driven cars anymore, right? It's like we're, we're moving on from that in terms of their next gen. 
and they're like, we're, we're, we're making robot taxi. These robot taxis don't have steering wheels and pedals, whatever. <clears throat> um, because we're 100% confident we're, we're going to solve FSD, right? But um, for the first few years, we're going to have a driver module that goes on into the, the robot taxi mm. um, for the time being, right? Meaning this driver module will fit like kind of into this like kind of space where um, and and you allow the driver to to drive and do everything it needs to do. Um, <clears throat> basically, and we're only going to do it until, you know, our FSD gets, you know, basically mature and complete. Mm. Um, that might be an interesting idea because that aligns well with this idea that it is a, a robot taxi next gen platform. It's it's about robot taxi, but it also can solve perhaps the the interim problem of we don't know when FSD is going to be mature and ready, and there's going to be huge robot taxi rollout, so people can mm -hmm. buy these cars. Um, <clears throat> but who knows? I mean, that might be engineering wise too complicated, you know, to have uh, uh, this extra module that goes into like the car with you know, I mean, that's a lot yeah. of parts and you're talking about steering wheel and controls and pedals and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that is the big question kind of, um, is how all in is Tesla going with road taxi in terms of, of, are they just going to eat the risk of having idle capacity if FSD doesn't come quickly or, um, do they have something up their sleeves? I think they have something up their sleeves. They're not reckless. Um, so yeah, we'll see, um, how, what they show, I think, uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I, I where my head goes with that is if if there it is a say a robo taxi with a driver module added in, the, my biggest thing is like okay, sort of what you talked about is the engineering effort, but like uh, uh, safety regulations is NHTSA gonna allow something like that? Like how does that play into you know the impact? Because you think about a robo taxi in theory, they'll be designing this these things that would have whatever NHTSA's definition is of a safe driverless car without pedals and wheels in the, you know, by 2028 or whenever that, that regulation comes out. And I, I would think Tesla would try their best to engineer that car based on those regulations that might be, I don't know if they're going to be different from cars today or not. There probably will be a lot of similarities because they're going to be sharing the same road. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes like, this will be a perfect question for Sandy, right? Or Corey from, from or anybody at yeah. those geniuses at Monroe. Be like, okay, so is it better to just create a manufacturing process that allows you to module modulate between the compact car and the robo taxi, where maybe the amount of effort and change you need is only say twenty percent of the total effort and change that you need to do with the entire process, versus focusing on the robo taxi platform and then adding something on top of it and that to me sounds more complex somehow i don't know why it's because you're like forcing one thing on top of the other versus yeah. allowing the manufacturing processes you know uh um uh, adjusting the manufacturing processes to actually allow you to build a completely different car and it sort of like ties to elon musk's comments around how long-term tesla's true uh call it the moat or differentiator is manufacturing. Like this is really what they're going to be extremely good at is manufacturing. And so that's why my head goes to, okay, so whatever machines or robots they have figured out, 
they'll just be extremely good at going from this version of a car to this version of a car. And they could be two completely different form factors, but it's still 80% of the effort and time uh, and value or whatever that we've put into that process. We just need small tweaks to shift it from one place to another. And maybe that's something to learn from Cybertruck. I have no idea. And that's yeah. why tomorrow is going to be so fascinating because when they say Gen 3 platform, then we should see Tesla's manufacturing expertise come to light. Yeah. It's not just single piece castings and, you know, single structure battery packs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So as you're speaking, I had this idea. What if yeah. Tesla did something where tomorrow they announce this robotaxi platform, their next gen, they don't really mention a compact car, a, a consumer compact car. <clears throat> um, they just talk about robotaxi and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and they give the, the whole back end, you know, uh, rationale, infrastructure, all that stuff. And later, how about later on, they, they, talk, they reveal a, the comp, a compact drivable car. At a later date, they, you mean? Yeah. Like, let's say mm. maybe, um, I don't know, maybe like in a year or so, you know, mm. meaning, meaning, for example, let's say hypothetically Tesla intends to do a robo taxi and a compact car, let's say on, on the same platform, but it'll be different. But Tesla just talks only about the robo taxi tomorrow. Um, because if they talk about this extra, this compact con drivable consumer car, what's the benefit of really talking about that? You've got the whole Osborne effect. Some people stretching to buy a model three or, you know, model Y say, Oh, I'll just wait for that. Right. So Tesla doesn't have to talk about that. They just only talk about the robo taxi. And then in a year or so, right, when they're closer to, to wanting to release the, the actual product and ready to take pre-orders, then they announce, they have an event, announce this compact drivable car, right? And so the, the downside is you have a year of people complaining, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like, Robotaxi, is that going to be enough? Like, or when is it going to come out? Like, everyone's going to be upset. My comments stuff, are right? going to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to me, that's something I wouldn't rule that possibility out, actually, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what, what comes to mind there is like, I just, I feel like somebody at Investor Day is going to ask the question because they're going to have a, an hour long Q&A. If they do that, I mean, somebody's going to ask, why don't you do like, aren't, wouldn't you just put that on a, on a compact car, on a compact car? And I'm guessing, you know, Elon and Tesla would have to keep, you know, re saying, yeah, but when we're ready, we'll announce it. When we're ready, we'll announce it, you know, or, or you know, if we change our plans, we'll announce it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I wonder, yeah. and this is why, I, like, this is, go ahead. So yeah, it could please. be a backup plan, actually. So let's say Elon could say, oh, we don't need that compact, whatever, co drivable car, because FSD is almost ready to, to, to go, go mainstream, right? Yeah, but um, come on. <laughs> um, so what he could, what he does is he goes, that's his default, but his backup is uh, this compact drivable car announced next year, you know? Yeah. Which in most people is most people's like mind, that's the most realistic, you know, probability. Right. But he still wants to perhaps, you know, uphold this possibility that FSD is gonna be good enough. I see that. I see that ultra fast. Well, he doesn't need to to release a drivable compact car. So why even talk about it right now, you know? Mm. Yeah, we'll yeah I, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I do wonder. I do wonder if, in a in a way, if if Elon and Tesla do focus, like, do release a compact car that's drivable. It's like, I want to say, admitting defeat in a way that says, "Hey, FSC is not coming as soon as I thought." But it's kind of like, to your point, maybe 
it will add some sort of fuel to the fire that says, oh, see, we told you full self-driving is not going to be ready. You see what happened. But then what will end up happening in the other side is that Tesla will get to 20 million cars per year. <laughs> you know, like you'll just have that happen instead of them driving themselves. You know, they'll, they'll, everybody will be driving them and eventually they'll drive themselves. It's fascinating. Yeah, man. I just yeah. I really the, the, the fact that they added it to the announcement on January 2nd is really for me. It's so interesting that they chose to add it to the announcement. They explicitly highlighted yeah. Gen 3 platform. And how much how much of that do you think was because of the the noise and the craziness that was happening around that time with like the stock dropping to 100 and Elon, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, this is up for debate, obviously, but, you know, having divisive tweets on, on Twitter and stuff like that. How much of that do you think was in response to that? And how much of this do you really think it's Tesla's ready to showcase the Gen 3? I mean, truly have yeah, I mean, it's probably, um, I don't know if it's a clear cut answer. I mean, we don't have the <laughs> internal messages, you know, of Tesla. Um, but on one side, I would imagine Elon's been thinking about Master Plan 3 for quite a while. They're working on this robotaxi vehicle platform for quite a while. You know, they're ready to, to hold an event anytime. Like they, they know their stuff. They've got a lot of stuff that haven't, hasn't been shared yet detail by tesla and so on one hand i think yeah this stuff um would have been shared anyways at some point um but perhaps you know um there was some extra kind of reason to 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 make the announcement um and to hold it maybe uh in march but then that's the thing it, it could have been held earlier it could have held last year with you know elon just sharing master plan part three he could have had a master plan part three investor day in fall you know, before let's say Tesla stock price. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't know if it's a clear cut answer. You know exactly mm -hmm. how it came about, but it does seem like there's some extra stuff. Like for example, the last I think big thing was um, with the past couple AI days. You had Battery Day and a couple AI days. So you had you know the backdrop set for what Tesla's doing on the technology side, but you didn't really have the backdrop set what for what Tesla's doing on the manufacturing side and on the, the factory ramping side and, and that picture. And so to me, it's a, yeah, it's a great kind of complement to the battery day, the AI day. And then you've got this, I'll call it like maybe massive scale, you know, day, investor day. Um, and those three put together present, I think, um, a more complete picture, you know, of what Tesla's up to. Got it. So it's almost like giving context to, uh, the the things that they've been working on that's fundamental. Uh, here's the context as to how we're going to bring those things to market. Here are the things that are going to be presented. Um, my gut tells me that it's going to have like a similar format too to those days where it's you know it's an hour and a half long keynote. If we look at the sort of presentation, and I'm and I'm I highly doubt it's going to be Elon by himself talking for an hour and a half. He's going to bring up a bunch of team members we probably never met before, and he's going to display the sort of how deep the talent roster is and. What you know, it's almost like when we looked at the AI and battery days, there was like these different divisions sort of that were focused on those specific technologies that they're working on. And now if we're thinking about scale being its own technology, so if AI is a technology, uh battery is a technology. I don't know if scale is a technology, but let's just assume it's around because it's it's getting its own day, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what are the divisions that go into that? Raw materials, refining. Um, and, you know, picking locations, building out uh, uh, facilities, platforms, right? And you kind of start conceptualizing those things. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what 
what what's going to be discussed. What are what are other things that um, come to mind when you think about investor day? You think they're yeah. you have to announce Gigafactory Mexico, right? I mean, that's that's got to come. To uh, mind, possibly, right? I mean, that's the news yeah. from today. The Mexican yeah. president. Um, Alamo, he, he actually announced in a, in a press conference or mm-hmm. in a Q&A that Tesla is going to build a factory in Monterey. Um, so we might get that. I think the way the structure I look at tomorrow is um, two, two main topics. One is kind of the, the materials problem. And the way I picture it is Elon basically cast this crazy vision and say, oh, we're going to need crazy amount of materials for the amount of terawatt hours we need. Um, and it's not enough what we're doing. And so he's going to break it down into like three sections or something, or three problems they need to solve with, let's say, mining and refining, et cetera, and um, cathode anode, whatever. And he's going to show exactly what they're going to do to fix and to solve these problems, right? Um, and then on the manufacturing side, this will be kind of the second part. And he'll basically say, hey, you know, we need to, to um, uh, scale to uh, make cars Re, uh, renewable, sustainable. Uh, Model three, Model Y is not enough, um, and so he's going to sh- show how you know there are certain problems they need to solve to bring down the cost of the car radically, and he'll show like, hey, we need to um, increase the output of the factory line, and here's you know all the technologies, design decisions, you know way we did it. We need to shrink the 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 size of the factory floor space by half, and here's what how we did it, you know how we're doing it, and then. You know, we need to, to shrink the costs of goods and all this stuff, you know, and here's how we're doing it. And he'll just kind of lay out, you know, basically materials, point one, two, and three, the big problems, how we're solving them, you know, and, and the goals that, that they have and manufacturing the same thing, three points and the goals and how they're going to basically, it's going to be like, kind of like battery day, right? So we're going to yeah. do half the cost, whatever, double output, all this stuff. And this is going to allow us to to create these cars that will scale, right, to to 10 plus million, et cetera. Um, I think that's kind of the general format I, I um, expect out of the you know, um, investor day. Um, hour and a half is kind of short, actually. Like, it's, not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not in a sense like you have three hours. You're not gonna have like, you know, all these presentations. It's kind of compact. And that's where I think maybe they're gonna focus just on a few topics, um, yeah. I see. I see. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the battery day example. Was was the? Do you remember if the forty six eighty was unveiled before Battery Day, or was that unveiled? No, that battery was Battery Day. day. Yeah. Okay, the forty six eighty. So I'm wondering if like the Gen three platform is going to have, because you know they say platform is going to be like a similar type thing. Is again they didn't have like the stupid battery on stage. Like, hey, look at this thing. You know, they they had a bunch of like, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Here's exactly. the manufacturing process. Okay, got it. Okay, so that yeah, actually yeah, that's how you look at it. it. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're it's similar in the battery day in, in the sense that they have these goals that they're needing to reach, like just like forty six eighty, and they have a plan to do it, um, mm. and this is how they're doing it. But it's gonna, I mean, it's, the timeline is probably a little shorter than AI a battery day because they're already like finishing the designs, you know, of the the car of the the manufacturing. I think it's it's this day is showing that Tesla it's. It's basically they've worked on the design of the car. They probably already have like close to final version. They've worked on all the manufacturing, how the factory, all the machines, the whole processes. They've done this for over a year probably. And they're Mm. getting close to this point where they're finalizing. They're getting a place closer to finalization. And that's what they're going to share tomorrow, basically. You know, here's here's, um, where we're at. Gotcha. 
do you th- do you think this is a China like for so, so this whatever this uh, platform is? Do you think it's a region specific first? Do you think it's global? How do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I think the the mystery thing is China seems to have their own design center, and um, Elon respects that there's different needs that each region might have, and so it's possible China comes up with their own Tesla. China comes up with their own compact car. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And the, the second thing is China is. Is Tesla China is, is behind with FSD compared to the US. Um, they just aren't prioritizing it as much right now. So, yeah, why make a robotaxi compact car for China when people are driving there right now? And so, yeah, I don't know if I don't. I doubt if Tesla will even talk about it at all. Um, a, t- a Tesla China car. It's something maybe Tesla China has an announcement for you know later um, when they need to. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. You know, end of this yeah. year, early next year. Yeah. Okay. What about uh? What about Tesla Energy? That's something that that a lot of people have been speculating about. Uh, it seems like with the Megapath Two XL that yeah. they had a video earlier this year where they unveiled they're going to try to get I think ten thousand units per year. I think it was somewhere between eight thousand to ten thousand units per year. It seems to be a, a sleeping giant that a lot of people uh, seem to be, especially on the on the uh, institutional side. Folks like Gary Black and a few others are starting to sort of perk up their ears to it. Like, oh, looks like there is potential here. Do you think that gets covered tomorrow and your overall thoughts on Tesla Energy? Yeah, I, mean, I think it gets covered in a minor way. Um, I don't think it's the big focus per se. I mean, I think Elon will address it and you'll have great, you know, big goals for Tesla Energy, you know, by 2030 or in 10 years. Um, um, I think, though, the reality is, is like you can't do everything well. Like you've got humanoid robots, you've got FSD, you've got manufacturing of cars and factories and all this stuff. You also have Tesla Energy. Um, and Tesla won't per se, I think, admit that Tesla Energy isn't, you know, a, a top, like the top priority. Because, I mean, there's no reason to, to say that. But the reality is that cars are, you know, top. Um, FSD is top, right? Even humanoid robot goes up there. Um, Tesla energy is important long-term, but it's long-term meaning that, um, like I look at Tesla energy as it's fundamentally a different problem where it's not so much um, high-tech, meaning you don't have AI and these, you don't need you know 10,000 software engineers and all this data and all this stuff to make it. It's not complex. You don't need this you know, crazy network of, and brand and it's, you're not dealing with finicky consumers either. It's it's a rather straightforward product, and you need a lot of cheap battery cells, right? And mm. um, that's kind of the key. Um, and it needs to be reliable, right? Um, and so I look at it as Tesla is going to feed all of their extra cells that they can get to support Tesla Energy, um, and that's how they're going to grow it over time. So it's always going to be kind of the, the second priority, like the cars and you know, FSD, humanoid robots, all this stuff is, is, is first priority. Tesla Energy gets whatever cells Tesla can give it, right? Um, without sacrificing the, the first priority. And in that sense, yeah, I think Tesla Energy is going to grow a lot and it's going to be a, a huge sleeper. I mean, in terms of people are going to wake up to it uh, more and more over time. Um, but, you know, it's something that's going to take time to, to ramp, um, uh, to, make a, you know, a huge numbers difference, in my opinion. Um, and like some people get excited about Tesla Energy right now. I think it's, it's fine. Um, it's just that, again, when it 
push comes to sh- shove, Tesla will prioritize the cars. They're just mm. higher margin, more impact. I mean, I would say more impact. It's just better use of their cells at this point, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like Tesla's, especially what's happening right now is Model 3 and Model Y, you're not seeing this huge jump in production or demand in 2023, right? Because think about it, they ended, you know, um, uh, uh, 2022 with production that was like, you know, um, uh, upwards close closer to 2 million. Um, and so they're not going to, they don't need to jump that production rate double this year. It's, it's going to kind of flatline in a sense, maybe grow uh, uh, incrementally uh, quarter by quarter. Yeah. And so they have a lot of cells. So actually, I think this year is a great year for Tesla, Tesla Energy to to grow and to see what Tesla can do. So um, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good business. It's just, for me, it's like, it's, it's a long-term thing, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about the energy part is that um, I had Matt Smith on Emmett's counterpart from Good Soil, and uh, we we discussed the sort of this margin potential of of Tesla Energy long term. Yeah, Tesla's getting these IRA, IRA tax credits for battery cell manufacturing in the U.S., which is obviously going to be a huge boon, not just for the car business, for the energy business as well. You think about just how behind the times most grids are globally. <laughs> I don't know if there's one good extremely good grits anywhere uh in, in the world <laughs> i don't know I, I, but i haven't been around the world much either so i don't want to speak out of complete ignorance here um but it seems like there's just a lot of opportunity to capitalize on a market but i think i i agree with you that i think for the like the next three to five years energy is still going to be this this growing giant that's that's going to be i mean it's already adding to the bottom line it's it's low percentage point margin but it's you know it's 13% or 12% i think it was in q4 and it's literally just a cabinet with batteries and you figure out how to get that cabinet from point a to point b there's more complexities obviously but uh relative to car manufacturing it doesn't seem that much more complex or or le- relatively less complex than car manufacturing yeah. so and it's and it's that, yeah. yeah and the other thing is is um the sales process for Tesla energy, especially mega packs and these bigger projects, it's, it's long, you know, it's, it's a True. very bureaucratic process. Um, it's hard to scale at will. Um, meaning it takes time to, to, to go through the sales processes for all these, you know, projects. And so even if Tesla wanted to scale faster, it just, um, yeah, it's, there's somewhat of a bottleneck in terms of sales. And that's why, you know, it, it will grow. It will substantially grow. Um, yeah, the IRA credits are, are interesting too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I, I, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, so tomorrow let's, let's, let's play a little game. You think there's going to be, uh, are people going to be pleasantly surprised or are people going to be disappointed? What, what do you think is going to come out of it? Um, I think it depends on the person. If if you're getting if you're going to get excited about Tesla going into details of how they're you know shrinking or lowering the cost of the vehicle and increasing output and all this all the details kind of like Battery Day. If you got excited about watching Battery Day, then you'll get excited about tomorrow. I think hmm. if you do, if you do, didn't get excited about Battery Day, then I, yeah, I think this tomorrow's presentation is not going to be for you. That's kind of my take on it. I think. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. The the what I couldn't help, but because again, that, that Gen 3 platform verbiage that they put in the announcement to me just had so many 
put so many cogs turning and gears turning in my head. And I've tried so hard to like w internally temper my expectations. When I create my content, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be the case, blah, blah, blah. But if Tesla were to kind of show or unveil or talk about this sort of lower uh, level or lower price car around 25,000 or so, it could just think about what that does to the to the car market and you and I spent a bunch of time earlier in the interview talking about the implications of that. So it's extremely hard for me to not be like, Oh my God, please, <laughs> please show something. But, but I think that the, the bigger takeaway is like, as long as they have a plan, as long as they have to show their plan on how they're going to reach that point, I think as an investor for me is another data point that says Tesla is on the March to 20 million per 2030. And if I look around the legacy landscape, especially, no one is even close to getting to this point from a mass manufacturing standpoint. And the way that you've sort of defined Tesla being the, uh, like a Trojan horse, like a luxury car maker Trojan horse, where really internally, if they're really, you really, they're the only, they're the only uh, EV manufacturer truly, maybe outside of BYD, some would argue, that's capable of mass scale at an affordable price with a compelling car. And uh, in the next couple of years, uh, they should be able to achieve that if you look at their previous track record. Uh, and tomorrow will will either be a step in the right direction and it could surprise as a step in the right direction. Or it could be like, uh, oh, my God, what is Tesla doing? But I highly doubt that. <laughs> I feel like Tesla has, has shown a pretty good track record of of when, when they lay out a plan. You know, they're always late, but they, they, they continually move move towards that plan. So. It's going to be fascinating. And if you're in the comments, we will have a Q&A section towards the end. We're going to hit a couple other topics as well. But if you do have questions for us, uh, do stick around for the end. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to hit as many as we can. Um, let me sort of shift gears uh, slightly to uh, Elon, uh, Twitter, uh, a lot of some of the things that's going on. Where's your head at? Because you, you and I, I went on your channel uh, and I and I got you so worked up, <laughs> and it was awesome to see. We got passionate, Dave. It was amazing. Uh, people loved it. Uh, it was it was fascinating. Uh, how how do you view that now? Do you think do you think Elon has chilled out a little bit? Uh, do you think there's still some complications there? Where's your head with that entire saga? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, it's kind of this natural thing where uh, sometimes Elon will push the limits and then based upon what happens, he adjusts his behavior. And um, yeah, I think he's, he's becoming, he's, he's trying um, harder to be a bit more careful in, in some tweets on, and how he approaches things, but yet he still, you know, is tweeting what he wants to tweet. Um, I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, I think, area or arena where Twitter is not just a technological problem, but it's a, Kind of social, political, cultural, nuanced problem that it's really hard to come up with a grid of how to like solve it, you know. Um, and I think Elon, the it, he excels engineering wise, where uh, Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, Boring Company, they all have kind of a physics grid where you could, you know, use to solve problems. Um, and Twitter has that. At angle as well, you know, to make it a better service and add features and all this stuff. But there's also this other thing. It's a hybrid of a of a product in a way where it's not just an engineering thing. You know, it's it's also this other monster of a of a product, right? <clears throat> and I think um, that is 
is is something yet to be kind of solved in a sense. It's still a, a work in progress. I think Elon's trying to figure that whether he'll be the one to to push that kind of side forward longer term, or if he'll hand that off to a CEO who will be capable enough to handle both, let's say technological and the whole, you know, political, social, cultural, nuanced side as well. Like that's kind of, I think, perhaps the most likely scenario is that, you know, Elon focuses more on the technological side, gets the the servers, gets the basic service, gets basic features, you know, better done with Twitter. Um, and he, by the end of the year, you know, uh, another CEO comes, he appoints that can continue what Elon started technologically and also on the other side of the humanity side of, of Twitter can continue kind of Elon's ideals, but do it, you know, in a, in a, in a, um, in a, an effective way too. So we'll see. I mean, I think the verdict is still out there. Um, I wish, I mean, yeah, I hope, I hope that all this works out, you know, um, <laughs> yeah um, famous last word <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i remember our discussion was was quite it was it was in the middle of of that i just there was just so much there was so much going on it was such a unique you know if if, if you think back to like tesla's arc and elon musk's arc of uh you know the last 10 15 years it's just such a unique uh little time in history that that we went through that just brought so many different variables forward that were like like you were it's like you were in like a horror house and like every time there's like a door opens and a ghost comes out like ah and then you keep walking it's like you keep getting surprised every time you take a step forward and it's kind of like okay how do we navigate through this it was um it, it was but it was it wasn't necessarily that elon was acting in a that he wasn't being elon is that he was being elon in an arena where elon hasn't uh in the past been vocal in and but he approached it in a very elon way and I think that was uh, quite, uh, it was just challenging to navigate through. Um, where, where I stand today, I think, with that is that it does seem like, to your point, it does seem like he's, uh, he's learning to navigate that a little bit better. If there's one thing Elon has shown in the past is that he has a great track record, to your point, of like adjusting. Like he knows how to adjust from an, you know, an engineer. Great engineers are constantly adjusting <laughs> to whatever real, real world data they receive. And it's very hard to receive real world data uh, in a in a world of politics and psychology and how people feel because everything's so subjective it's not objective so it's tougher to navigate through it but it's it's cool to see that he's sort of you know navigating through it um i think in the end what's what's in my head is like i'm trying to balance as best as i can the fact that you know if i think of elon as an individual like i i want him to have a, a as the same rights that everybody else does, right? Like I, I shouldn't be like, hey, don't say this or don't say that. You have an opinion, you're an individual, great. But then you're also the leader of Twitter. Like, you know, you and I talked about this, like the referee of Twitter. And this is something that you put together this whole thing that was awesome in, on Twitter as well. Um, but like, how, what does that mean within that context? And and how how do you move forward in a way so you can be as fair as humanly possible to all the players and so that people feel like they are, uh, they want to play <laughs> in th this game, right? What if you want to call it a game? Yeah. And the way you outlined that, I think, was was a great guide, at least for me, to conceptualize this dynamic. And I think it was helpful for others as well. It's just, it's just such a fascinating time um, that I, I don't think any of us expected to be in. But yeah. I guess it's par for the course for Elon. Um, 
let me ask you this question before we move on to uh, a little bit of AI. So think back to 2011, 2012, when you started those, I forget exactly when, when you started those uh, mega threads for on Tesla Motors Club, which by the way, if, if, uh, if you're not familiar with, with Dave's work and you want a time cap capsule of uh, how people view Tesla back then and how they view it now, it's like a great way to go back and sort of compare the tone back then and the tone now, and you get a lot of the same similarities of, oh, it's not going to happen. Like, I don't know what you said. It's not going to happen. Um, so check those out. But you had a very, you were, uh, you seem to be very, very honed in on the fact that Tesla's long-term success was so big, so big, that um, it was not just investing in, but it was potentially generational. So now we're in 2023. Do you still have that same level of conviction um and if you do why why is it has anything changed since that time yeah um yeah so for me um there's a lot of things that check the boxes that tesla's um not just on the right course but um is much is in a much better place than even i would have imagined you know 10 years ago um one of them is going to be tomorrow i think where i think that the level of ambition for the next generation platform is, is actually much higher than I would have expected. Um, I think the, the level of which they're going to try to bring down costs and deliver a, a fantastic car is going to actually be very surprising. So that's one thing. Um, second thing is, yeah, um, full self-driving is such a big market. It's like bigger than, than autos, you know, than cars itself. Um, and to understand that, you have to look, think about the uh, cars are cheap, actually. Like, you know, they're just cheap in, in a sense of they're, they're machines that you drive. The majority of the, of the value in terms of cars are in the actual driving. For example, if you had a person who was going to say, I'm going to drive you everywhere you go. I'll be your chauffeur for the next 10 years, right? Um, that's that's worth more than the cost of the car, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I'll drive you in traffic. I'll drive you anywhere. And so it, it shows the that should the, be how much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it shows the value is not necessarily in the machine itself. It's in the actual the driving, uh, the, yeah. the the labor of of driving, um, <clears throat> and so that's why autonomous vehicles. That's why FSD is is a much bigger market than you know the hardware, right? The, the, the cars. Um, so yeah, this is going to be, um, interesting. And then the other thing is, uh, humanoid robots, um, and Dojo, what Tesla's doing on the AI front. Um, so yeah. And like they're in the, the, I think the best spot uh, they could be in, um, lots of fantastic things going on. Um, there is this question mark, I think moving out past 2030. And that's kind of where I, I like to kind of move a few steps ahead um, because, yeah, I want to see like what they're setting up ahead. And I, and I like the next gen platform. I like FSD. I like humanoid robots, right? Um, um, but AI is changing radically and it's doing it, it's changing fast. And um, it's, it's going to be interesting how Tesla navigates kind of the whole market. Um, one example is, is you've got this humanoid robot, but the other half is the software. It's like the mind of the robot. It's like, um, who's going to be in the brain of, in terms of conversing and talking with this robot, right? Is Tesla going to develop their own 
you know, large language models that think and talk and et cetera, solve problems for people? Or are they going to partner with an, a, a group? Um, who does Elon like in the field to partner with, mm. you know, to put that brain inside the, you know? Uh, Doesn't seem like he likes anybody optimism. right now. <laughs> yeah. Will Elon start his own, you know, own thing, right? And I don't, to, to be honest, I don't know if, te- if Elon can really start it inside Tesla. He could if he wanted to. But I think you might have, like, there's pros and cons. If, if you want the best AI re- researchers in the world, the, the easiest way to get them is equity. Mm. You know, you, you basically say, hey, you get percent of the company or whatever, you know, this is going to be huge. And you can get the top of the top. If you bring them into Tesla, like, you tell them we'll give you some equity, but the equity doesn't, like, it's not, like, big percent of the company, you know, Tesla's market cap is so high. So you basically have to do high compensation, right? Basically high salary and then also, you know, um, stock, but it's not necessarily like a, as lucrative as a startup would be, right? The benefit of doing a Tesla is you could say, oh, we're Tesla is a company, we're willing to fork over billions of dollars in training and compute costs, right? To, to, to build this thing. But on the flip side, there's actually negative or challenges of doing a Tesla is that Tesla right now is a complicated company in the sense that as Tesla has has changed and matured over time, um, there are a lot of institutional investors and institutional investors own the majority of the company um, that who, who aren't necessarily looking for a risky bet. Mm. You know, they're like, who cares about large language models? Why are we spending <laughs> billions of dollars on this? What's the point? You know, let's make cars, right? Tesla, you're a car company. Like, get your act together, right? <laughs> um, higher margins. Like, they want higher so margins. True. They don't want, you know, the next whatever big, you know, so true. thing to compete with ChatGPT. It's like, who cares, right? Um, so that, yeah. So in that sense, too, it's like, you know, would Elon really start something in Tesla when he owns, like, let's say, you know, 20% of the company, but... It's like if he could do something outside of Tesla, give more equity, recruit better people, who knows? But then you've got this um, funding problem, right? meaning he have to fork over a lot for compute. And so then Elon would probably have to bankroll that, you know, um, he might have to fork over, you know, a bunch of cash, maybe a billion a year or whatever to for this enterprise. I think he's ready to do it, though. I think I think the, mm. the last um, article by the information you know, I was not surprised by it at all that he's already, you know, talking to people, trying to recruit people. Um, it makes sense, um, but it's kind of crazy. Like another Elon Musk company is like, <laughs> who would have thought right after Twitter too? Yeah, like just months after acquiring Twitter. You can't stop. <laughs> you try to like, you know, do another dude one. can't so, stop. Yeah, let me see if I can pull this up actually. Actually, let me, let me put this in the private chat. Uh, yeah, producer wife, when you get a second, if you can pull this up on screen. Uh, for those that are not following the um, Sawyer Merritt, uh, there's a tweet from Sawyer Merritt here uh, from Twitter that highlights uh, Elon Musk uh, reportedly approached artificial intelligence researchers in recent weeks about forming a new research lab to develop an alternative to ChatGPT, the high-profile chatbot made by the startup OpenAI according to two people with direct knowledge of the effort and a third person briefed on the conversation. So, and this is in direct response to, it seems like I'm speculating here, but it seems like it's pointing this uh, and it might be covered in this article 
that um, Elon's not the happiest about OpenAI being owned by Microsoft. Uh, you know, OpenAI was designed to be its own entity uh, so that it was open to try and really advocate for AI safety and so that it was open source so that there's no controlling interest around it that could potentially make it uh, you know, not democratic, not democratic, or potentially dangerous, and it, the opposite happened. And then you had Andre joining OpenAI, and then Elon unfollowed Andre. You had this whole thing. You know, what I, I don't know if it's probably a bigger deal. It seems like a bigger deal than it actually is. Maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe I don't know if you have some thoughts there, Dave. But just wanted to give some context to the people. Um, do you, so you yeah. do you think this is a do you think this is a done deal, or how do you, um, how are you thinking about this? Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I I think Elon. My personal opinion is I think he will do it. Um, and a big reason is um, so much has happened um, in the past few years with large language models where um, we really got to this place where these large language models like OpenAI's GPT-3 and now 4, ChatGPT, um, they're getting, they're moving beyond just kind of you know, giving facts or translating, you know, sentences, they're moving into this arena of like logic and thinking. Um, and this is how, this is the big jump that's taken place um, <clears throat> in the past year or two. And this is why ChatGPT can write a book and, you know, write essays and do all sorts of crazy stuff, even though it does have some deficiencies. But we have this big turning point and um, it's a lot of the cutting edge researchers are feeling that AGI is not too far away and that this is the precursor of, of that. And what Sam Altman of OpenAI, the CEO there, his vision is that there's only going to be a few big players providing the foundational models of AI in terms of large language models, because it's going to cost too much to train um, these models. So he only thinks there's going to be a few players. Mm. Um, and he thinks OpenAI is going to be one of those players. He thinks it's obviously going to be you know, the leader of that. And he wants OpenAI to become this place where they hold digital intelligence on tap, meaning they are the custodians of this digital intelligence or super intelligence, whatever it is, AI in the future. And you can tap into this through APIs. So you can hook up your app, you can hook up whatever, you could do a chatbot, whatever, and you can access this, this AI mind, the digital intelligence, um, and get back whatever you, you need to. And Sam Altman is saying that he's willing and he's wanting multi-billion dollar companies to be built up on this. And he's saying that open AI is not going to do everything. They're not going to try to do, you know, AI, this service, this service, this service. They're actually going to let companies build on top of their foundational model where he expects, you know, trillion dollar companies to be built on top of this, basically. And they'll, yeah, they'll just be the, the, the custodian of the digital intelligence in a way. And they'll let other companies build trillion-dollar businesses off of that. Um, and Sam Altman is also saying that they'll let people customize the model to 
be basically biased to according to what you want it biased for. So if you're a Republican, it could be like a Republican to you. If you're a Democrat, it could be like that. If you like certain things, it'll, it'd be like this to you, right? So it'll let you customize it wherever you want to be, right? You want it to be. Now, this is all great if you believe open AI. If yeah. you believe <laughs> that they're going to be good custodians of this, that that you believe that they're going to let all these multi-trillion dollar companies be built on it, and you believe that they're going to have this neutral model that others are going to be able to customize and you know toward their own thing. Now, if you're skeptical about this, if you're skeptical about OpenAI and how their motives are, their financial incentives are set up, and maybe you've worked with OpenAI in the past. Maybe you've even had a role in find, founding OpenAI, right? <laughs> and you had a, a, I don't want to say a follow-up, but you had a disagreement and you, you went different I wonder paths. who you're talking about. This yeah, seems like completely, yeah. 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 Maybe you, you just don't believe, you know, and trust all of this. Um, but you do think that there's only going to be a few players. Mm. Um, perhaps only one even, or two, maybe. And you do think that whoever is a custodian of digital intelligence on tap is going to have an outsized influence on the course of history forever. Like it's going to change. It's going to be basically the most influential influence in society. Whoever is a custodian of that digital intelligence on wow. tap. Now, if you think that, do you want to be left out of the game? You know, do you want to be left out of that, you know, of, of, influencing society like that. And if you if you think that this is messed up, if you think the leader is not trustworthy and you have some insight, intuition, or feelings about this and experience, like what are your options here? You know, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. Okay. Let, let me try to conceptualize this for my stupid brain. And then you tell me if I'm thinking about this correctly. So uh, Sam and others think that in the future... 10, 20 years, there's going to be like, I don't know, a, uh, let's just say seven, uh, brains, uh, artificial brains that society are going to be able to plug into to, uh, either through a, as a company or an individual. And those brains are going to essentially solve whatever problem or offer whatever service or product, um, through that brain and maybe there's those seven different brains maybe specialized are really good at everything but maybe have us like maybe one of them is extremely good at solving life's i don't know uh, hardest questions around how to build societies and then there's another one that's extremely good at building i don't know freaking companies that make teapots i don't freaking know right but whatever this the seven the seven different brains specialize and um each one of those brains, it's going to be owned or they're going to be custodians. Uh, there's going to be a, a small number of people that will be responsible or trusted with ensuring that that brain is, um, I don't know, as good as possible or as fair as possible or something. And I guess that's where a lot of this uh, might, might, a lot of questions arise. Um, and that's how the future is going to look, I, I guess. Did I, did I somewhat yeah. explain this? Yeah. Okay, uh, somewhat. So a few okay. few kind of notes on that is not seven brains, more like two or three. Oh, snap. Okay. And, and the reason is these brains are very, very generalized, meaning the layers you build on top of that. If you're, you know, these supposedly the foundational models, they'll let other companies 
fine tune and customize the model to fit a niche, like a, a um, but these models are very general, meaning um, they'll do everything basically. It's like rent a brain, you. basically. Exactly, exactly. It's like your brain. Yeah. Think of a human Got brain, it. general. Figure out anything eventually. Like think of it as uh, it's a digital brain, right? Um, okay. But think of the power of this digital brain as like you're tapping into like, you know, 10 trillion brains, you know, mm. uh, that are generalized and you could tell, ask it to do whatever you want it to do, <laughs> right? And there are only a few players, two or three of these brains. And the reason why is because <clears throat> if you have this generalized brain and if it's, if you don't have a brain that's comparable to that, you have no comp, you can't compete with it because it, it's just so good at so many things. It's like so good at, let's say a million things. It's like crazy. If you're only good at like hundred things, like why would anyone use your brain when the, the other brain is good at everything and even mm. better than your brain? And so you have to be as good, but in order to be as good as that brain across a million things, you have to have as much training and compute power to train that as that brain, which is, it's, it's going to be hard for people to do in, in the future. And so, yeah, two or three brains, and it's not 10 or 20 years down the road. We're talking about much, 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 much sooner. Oh <laughs> I mean, we're talking about like, yeah, I, I mean, this people decade? don't want to pinpoint the time because it's always shifting and there could be problems and challenges, but um, yeah, we're, we're talking about much, much sooner than that. Um, um, yeah, we're talking about this decade's you know, timeline. Stuff. So, um, so here, here's what comes up to my brain. <laughs> what um, that was the worst joke of all time, but I, I said it anyway. What um, if if Sam if Sam's brain that he built with other people becomes the most powerful brain, and it becomes like even even if it's one of the two or three players, right? What's stopping those in like individuals from becoming by far the most powerful people on planet Earth? Is that a, is that the right way of thinking about it? Because essentially. They're controlling this thing that everybody's going to depend on. Am I thinking about that correctly? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. It is um, the most craziest. Um, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond uh, normal business because normal business, you offer a product or service. You get, you know, you sell something, you have warranty service, something breaks, you fix it, you sell a new <laughs> yeah. product. It's like pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> but we're talking Oscar. about, <laughs> and we're talking about like a digital intelligence on tap where the digital intelligence is eventually a thousand, a million, a trillion times more than all of the human intelligence on earth, right? It's just like crazy intelligence. Like it's gonna be able to do things that, you know, we can't fathom right now. And for example, with my kids, like, do I want it to, it, it, whatever it says and it does and it teaches, it has a world view and it has values, it has perspective. But it's going to be super convincing too. Like it's going to be like crazy, and the whoever controls those that foundational model of that brain is going to control the worldview of billions of people. You know of how they think, right? And the the idea right now is like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna make a neutral as neutral brain as possible, right? We're gonna try to make it just something that's harmless and you can customize it to make it just like whatever you want it to be. Right. We'll stay out of that. That's the, that's the, you know, the, the company, you know, advertising there. Um, but is that even possible? Right. You know, can it really 
can anything really be that neutral, right? Um, and already, if you look at what's going on with alignment, so you've got this chat GPT and you've got this Bing chatbot who's, who goes crazy. And so now they're having to do this <laughs> thing called alignment where you're trying to, basically, you're trying to like, you know, like- Stop it from like derailing. <laughs> exactly, like, you know, put reins on this crazy, you know, monster or whatever. What um, could go wrong? <laughs> exactly. But all this alignment you're doing is like, you're basically feeding it, you know, instruction, like telling what to do, what not to do. You're basically, you know, you know, I don't say scolding a child, but you're teaching this. And all of that is like, who's doing that? What's like, what are the values you're doing it with? What's the worldview you're doing? How are you shaping this? Right. Cause this is going to have a crazy outsized, you know, impact, impact in the future. Um, yeah, man. And so it's like all those concerns around AI safety that Elon brought up, say for whenever, you know, five years ago when he went on Joe Rogan and, uh, you know, before he got high or he smoked weed, I don't even know he got high, but say before he smoked weed and he's freaking Joe out about AI becoming this existential threat. Um, it, okay. So I'm not going to say it's necessarily going to be bad. So let me, maybe I'll ask you this question. So given that, so maybe, maybe I'll ask about the, the potentials first, and then I'll ask you the, the next question. So obviously we've explored uh, uh, just the, the tip of the iceberg of the complexities that arise from having a uh, technology like this in the near future that is going to be held by developed and uh, it's going to have a number of people that are the custodians over this incredibly just mind-blowingly powerful technology that is potentially super, super dangerous in a way, quote unquote. But at the same time, it's also going to allow us to do so much more, so much more as a society for a fraction of the cost one would think. Because now you have, instead of hiring a team of 100 incredibly smart engineers and idea folks or whatever that are trying to develop and plan a process for you, let's say to start, you rent a brain for 10 minutes. And then you get a whole, like top to bottom, 150 page step-by-step thing that tells you exactly what you need to do in order to be the most successful company in the world. One would think, right? I'm just conceptualizing this. So what are, talk to me about some of the, like the flip side, what are the best things that could come out of this potentially? What are some things that are going to be disrupted in the next, say, uh, in, the, in this decade that perhaps we're not thinking about uh, and how AI will impact that in a positive way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I see it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing because most people, it's like when you're dealing with things that have such, um, strong, um, let's say two sides of the coin and opposites, it's hard to, for, for a lot of people to bring this all together and converge them into, into one thought. And a lot of times people tend to just go on one side or the other, you know, um, Hundred um, percent positive or hundred percent negative. Um, the way I look at it is, yeah, we're entering definitely into some crazy territory, um, where, yeah, it, I, I don't know if, if if generally people are understanding this idea that for the first time in history, AI or computers or software has gotten to the point where it can make, you know, s- stories, essays photos, now music actually, and music will be something within the next 12 to 18 months. But all this stuff is, AI is getting better than the typical human at making. 
And it's only time before all this stuff where, yeah, AI is better at doing, you know, most um, thing, intellectual things. Um, and it just gets better and better over time as compute, because compute is not shrinking, right? Data isn't shrinking. All this stuff is just, we're in the infancy stages of all this. If you look at ChatGPT, imagine ChatGPT as being like a, a baby, like an infant. It's, this is like top of the first inning for AI. It's almost nothing mm. compared to the compute power <laughs> we're going to have in 5, 10, 20 years. You know, it's like crazy. Um, so yeah, we're dealing with a lot of uncharted territories, a lot of potential risks and challenges. Um, on the positive side, um, I think there's a potential where AI is not going to all of a sudden in one moment be able to solve all of our problems. It's going to allow people, companies, entrepreneurs to um, use its capabilities to combine them with other parts that it's lacking to create new products and services that have never been possible before in the history of the world that create immense value for people. <clears throat> and as it does that, it's going to, ha it has potential of radically improving people's lives, radically educating people, giving them skills and opportunities, radically, you know, bringing th people together in different ways. Um, it, it, it has tremendous potential to, to, to improve lives more so than any other technology in the history of the world, but even quicker. Because most technological revolutions, they take a while. Even the internet's taken a while, you know, computers, all this stuff. But the AI revolution is happening. It's like more, not in the, in the sense of decades, like every few months. The infrastructure's there already. Yeah, everything's there. It's just radically improving so fast every few Whoa. months. And so um, you've got this, interesting opportunity where we could leverage AI to create and solve the biggest problems we have um, and to create a better world, more value. Um, and in that process, we need to work on figuring out how to tame the beast, basically how to make sure this thing doesn't get out of control and be used against us. Now, my big concern is that throughout history, humans have discovered many solutions and cures to many things, but have humans really figured out the cure to kind of like this human condition? Are we really less, you know, um, I guess it, it's like the, the, the condition of the human kind of heart, I would say, you know, like that is something that is, that I don't know if we've really, you know, made much progress over time. And that concerns me is yeah, give people a lot of power, a lot of free time, a lot of, what are they gonna do? Are they all, are they gonna be super productive or are they gonna be on TikTok right. or, or whatever the next generation is? And like give people power of becoming, of, of moving together. Do they become mobs, you know? And like just <laughs> do crazy stuff in terms of like canceling left and right or do they do good together, right? That's the bigger question. Um, and that's kind of the concerning thing I think. Um, but um, yeah, while we have time, I, I look at it as maximize uh, what you could do with AI to, for good. And um, yeah, if you're lucky and you have a business that does well um, and use those resources to make sure the future is good, you know, the AI is uh, used well. So you said while we have time, 
Okay. So are, are you are you more optimistic or pessimistic on this whole thing? Because I remember this was the, the one of the questions I asked you when you first came on my channel. You were my very first interview, by the way, that people yeah. that follow this channel. Dave was my very first interview on this channel back in 2021. He was so gracious to give his time. And the one of the first questions I asked him was as a parent were, about given all we know now, and it was like during COVID and the crazy division and stuff. I asked him, what is, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about the future? And now almost a year and a half later, we have this whole AI thing going on. So let me ask you this question again. Are you more optimistic or pessimistic about the future given all you know now? <coughs> yeah. Um, I look at it more as like, um, when I look at, um, yeah, I have to, I have to be more uh, optimistic um, because if I am more pessimistic, I can't take action. I can't do things productive. So I'm, I'm more optimistic that leads me to action to do things. Um, but I do have serious concerns um, that, yeah, things could get pretty uh, intense. Um, and I want to work toward mitigating those concerns over time. But I'm not ready to, to become pessimistic because those concerns are more longer term and can possibly be mitigated. Like, I don't know the future and I can't, assume and be so super confident that I know the future to be so pessimistic that I'm sure that these outcomes are, are the most likely outcomes. Right. And that's where I feel like the only thing I can control right now is what I'm doing today and, mm. you know, how I'm spending my time. And that requires me to be optimistic, to use whatever is available for, you know, the best I can. Right. And so that's kind of my perspective is I'm super optimistic at the possibilities of AI to change people's lives. I'm, for me, uh, education is huge because, um, yeah, I think AI, I think it's a real deal. And I think it's going to completely radically transform how people learn and do things. And, um, yeah, that's going to change people's lives. So, okay. um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great answer. Um, one more question and a little bit of Q and a, is that okay with you on yeah, time? Yeah. I just yeah. want to make Actually, sure. Actually, feel okay. free to feel free to go until like uh, another 30 minutes if you need to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's all. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, so then let me ask you this on the, on the topic of, of being optimistic. Um, so is this app that you're working on with the sort of the, the, the it's, it's a language and maybe give us a little bit more context into exactly what, what the, what the app is meant to do, but is that a way, f is that one of the ways that you're trying to uh, maximize the chances that the people that are out there that could potentially help us arrive to a really good solution uh, have the tools to get there? Is that sort of the motivation behind the creation of the app? Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've been working on, like, I've had an a, a app company where we've developed our own apps. Um, it's mostly um, one kind of main app we have, but um, there hasn't been something that's been super compelling for me to, to, to really work on the past several years in terms of of software, um, and um, this kind of whole AI, um, uh, ChatGPT, and the awakening kind of of these large language models. For the first time in many many years, it's it's brought this like maker mentality back into me, where I'm like, oh mm. my gosh, like this is bigger than the App Store by many orders of magnitude. Like the app store opportunity was huge, you know, and I like I was like 
like mesmerized by that um, back in the day. But this AI opportunity is is so, so much bigger. It's just like so crazy. And there are some advantages of being early, meaning trying stuff that, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but you just do it. Like, you know, and and that's kind of our first app in 2008. We were just, it was just like throwing a dart on a dartboard and just like seeing if anything sticks, right? <laughs> and it's not so much like, oh, do you have a great idea or do you have great experience? It's just more of who's going to throw the dart, you know? Like mm-hmm. most people don't want to throw the dart or they're like, why do I throw the dart? Or I don't have dart experience. So there's so many questions, right? But it's like, for me, it's like, just throw the dart. That's all it takes, you know, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. try to throw it. Like, and so um, with AI, that's how I, I kind of take it. It's like, don't overthink it for me. I'm just like, I just got to throw the dart, you know, and mm. um, see if, if I could do something that I can use AI for good. Um, so yeah, um, education is interesting because I think in 30 years, 20, 30 years, I think education is still going to be important. It's still going to be an a, a area where we're going to improve in, even with AGI, even with potential super intelligence, whatever, I still think, yeah, education is one of those places where um, it's a long-term uh, issue and it has a huge impact on so many people um, across, it's just, it's a universal, you know, need. Um, and so, yeah, if we can radically improve that, for me, a lot of it is more personal where I see a lot of just, I'm in daily contact with a lot of refugees that don't have any rights, don't have jobs, don't have work, and they don't have English either, you know, and they have nothing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I can't even suggest an app for them to use because, you know, a lot of the apps out there don't even have their language. Like they can't learn English because they don't like Duolingo or others don't even offer their language to, you know, learn English. And and so, um, yeah, I, I see that very close at hand and I'm like, um, AI can do a better job, I think, at uh, teaching language than most solutions out there. And so, yeah, I figure worth a try. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's awesome. So it's like, so that's, that's interesting. You just met. So literally there's, and it's, this makes so much sense. There's, because what is it like two, two billion people in the world basically have nothing? <laughs> I think it is. What's the, this like a crazy amount of people, like human beings that exist on planet Earth that, could be not only living incredibly uh, fruitful lives, but also uh, just create incredible things for society. And they literally can't, they just can't, they're, they're almost trapped. And this is a hundred percent based on luck on where you're born. You just happen to be born there. Okay. Too bad. Like it's, it's, it's insane. It's so sad to think about and feel like having any sort of tools that allow those people to come forward is going to be, extremely powerful. And so are you envisioning this somehow is tied to uh, internet everywhere through Starlink or whatever other means so that people have access to these uh, tools to be able to learn the language, education? Like, is that how you see this thing playing out over time? And so that it just kind of permeates all all of uh, global society and everybody has access to tools to be able to enter really the, 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 the world for the first time? Is that how you're thinking about it long term? Yeah, I mean... One of the things I, I want to try to pilot this year, hopefully sooner than later, is provide. Um, we're talking about the 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 most kind of you know toughest people in the toughest of situations, um, but 
like give them um, a, an amazing free program or app that's better than anything out there to, to learn a language or English and then to hook them up with internet and a device um, and to pilot a program um, hopefully partnering with a nonprofit who will oversee kind of the distribution of the device and the, and the kind of the accountability and the tracking of progress. So um, yeah, um, I, I actually want to try this out. It might be actually, we'll see um, sooner than later, but, and actually mm -hmm. um, see what happens, you know, in the lives of the kids who do this and, and the adults who do it, how quickly they pick up the language, what other things it leads to, like how fast it connects them to resources and tools and, and, and opportunities. Right. I mean, everything is, is, is will flow through the internet um, and they're, they're going to be, yeah. Like if you're fluent in English, um, you can find work, you know, um, online somewhere, you know, um, if you're fluent in English and hungry, you can learn almost anything too, you know, um, mm. you can meet people, you could, you know, there's a lot of stuff you could do, but if you don't have, you know, language, you don't have the internet, you don't have access, you're stuck in your closed box. And that's where, you know, the world's most, you know, biggest poverty lies, right? It's, it's in that closed box. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't have like, um, I'm not, I'm trying to not get ahead of myself where I'm just, you know, I just want to focus on my day to day and what I could do to, to improve the language learning experience and see how far I could go. But yeah, it's, it's, um, um, and I, I want to be, in a sense, um, I'm confident that I think um, I'm excited about the opportunities and I'm excited about what we're doing. But I'm also um, wanting to be humble that there are multi-billion dollar companies in this space <laughs> and it's going to take a lot to compete against them. I mean, yeah, there's some big players. Yeah, yeah but Dave, you could be the, the Tesla to legacy auto, bro. Come on. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it is, it is, um, it just, to me, it seems like, again, it seems like my generation. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a millennial. I was born in 87. I was kind of born into the internet. Like I remember one of my earliest memories as a kid was playing with a computer. And then like a year or two later, it was hooked up to the internet. So I was, I kind of, kind of grew up with the internet. And so this AI revolution, like this AI thing that's, I guess, revolution, whatever you want to call it, it seems like my generation's internet, where mm -hmm. this thing came along that just completely transformed society. Like, you know, within 20 years, by that to me, within the scale of society is like, like that. And then all of a sudden you have everybody that has uh, electricity and a semblance of a economy has the internet. And now everybody can talk to each other and uh, a ridiculous amount of value was created globally. And the, the thing that you mentioned in this interview today that hadn't clicked for me before, but it clicked now is that within the case of AI, you don't need, uh, you don't need uh, Ethernet to be laid across the entire globe. You don't need uh, these sort of different, uh, I don't know, infrastructure type things that you have to build out that's hardware specific that you're able to do more throughput. In the case of AI, you do, but it's it's centralized almost. It's like centralized around two or three players, and you just rent that thing. But that thing is knowledge and capability at superhuman levels to, to the point 
that is it doesn't matter how many people you stick in a room with the incredible knowledge that thing will do it perfectly in seconds <laughs> versus you hiring a hundred people sticking them on the roof uh, for two weeks and hopefully you get something that's perfect and we all know that's not going to be the case that to me seems insane it seems completely nuts I, I don't even know how to wrap my head around it and we have Bing we have chat GPT and I can already start to feel like I use them for my for my YouTube videos. I use them as a research tool. Instead of spending 45 minutes to an hour Googling all these things, I do have like five prompts. I throw them into the things. You know, I, I double check my work because sometimes it's incorrect, <laughs> but I do double check my work. And then it's, that saved me 80, 90% of my time. Just extrapolate that out into the future, you know, and it's, it's the, the potential is limitless. So, man, I don't know, man. It's just, it yeah. seems, it seems scary. It seems scary, but it seems amazing at the same time. And I think that's when you have, that's when innovation truly takes off is when those two things come together, I feel like, because that's where all the potential lies. Okay. Yeah. Um, should we do some Q&A, Dave? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. All right. So producer wife, go ahead and pull up the questions for us. Thank you all so much for sticking around. Um, we'll answer as many questions as we can. We'll be on for another, say, 15, 20 minutes, and then uh, we'll sign off. Um, okay. Let's go ahead and bring them up. And uh, we'll start with the first question from Darby. Uh, who are you most excited to see talk to at the bar? Oh, Dave, who are you most excited to see or talk to at the bar at Clive? Um, I'm not sure. I think it'd be good just to catch up with people that I have met before or seen before. Um, yeah, looking forward to, you know, to hanging out with Rob and seeing if some old timers like Gally and others might be there and, um, and I love to just actually chat with just folks that just are, um, who, who have a connection with me through my videos. Like I actually, when I meet people, I, I feel like I'm close to them. Like I know them too. Like I, yeah. there's some, some reciprocal like feeling that goes out, you know, when someone who, who connects with me has, has, has kind of met me and known me through my videos. And so, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'd love to yeah, meet as many people as possible. <clears throat> It's so fascinating you say that because that that's that was a I talk to my wife about this all the time is like whenever I meet whenever I had the chance to go to these events is like I feel like how do I I feel like I know you like what's yeah, what's going yeah. it's the weirdest thing and it's like it's amazing how things uh, how 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 things can bring people together and that you like you're like my like some like my brother <laughs> it's just so weird it's fascinating let's do the next question <laughs> so cool. Da, 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 da. Buck, thank you so much for the uh, super chat. That will go into Dave's beer fund for tomorrow. I'm going to buy him. Let's see how many beers we're going to buy, Dave. Uh, do you think the Robo platform will have trunk seats frunk format or will it reposition seats to the rear to maximize luggage space for four? How do you, how do you think about the form factor? Yeah, um, it's a tricky one because if it's purely RoboTaxi, which it could be, then it could they could have seats in any way you know it wants, but if the human has to drive it, then you kind of need seats in a certain way, like the front seats have to be forward facing, etc. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I think we'll just it's so close. We're so close to the event. You know, I just feel like we just need to wait. And I don't even know if they'll show the design tomorrow. You know, I think the bigger focus is on the more the back end infrastructure, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh... I kind of, I'm kind of on the same page, but if they do show the car, I do think it'll be like a small frunk, uh, two seat plus two in the back that might be kind of useless-ish, maybe a, a, a trunk that's okay size, but there has to be differentiation between the compact and the and the and the three and the Y. So we'll see. Uh, next question. 
Crest question. How many years until the factories need zero humans to build the cars? Five? Uh, I don't know about that, but I think a lot more than that. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think I think it's like more like 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's just because there's all these edge kind of tasks that are going to require humans, I think. Like humanoids will gradually get involved with assembly and different stuff, but you're always going to need humans to oversee stuff, I think, you know? I mean, not always, but in the next 10 to 20 years, I think, you get, yeah, these humanoid robots will need oversight and, you know, there's tasks here and there until, like, maybe until you do get real, not just AGI, but something beyond AGI that's able to do stuff better than humans, then maybe you don't, but yeah, I don't know. Do you think by then they'll have Tesla bot helping out within five years doing something? Yeah, I, I think they'll have Tesla bot doing something within a year, like just yeah. even even you know not a lot of quantity, just some Tesla bots doing something. Yeah, I think. They're, but the question is like, how much will they be doing, and how many of the robots will they be deploying? And um, yeah, we'll see about that. Got it. Next one. Robert, question. What do you think of Wyoming's insane proposal to ban the sale of electric vehicles by 2035? What? I didn't even know no. this was a thing. Have you heard of that? I'll pass on that. <laughs> I'll pass on that. I don't know. Yeah. What? Wyoming banned electric cars. No way. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Oh, yeah. So USA Today article. Here, let me put it in the ch private chat if you want to bring this up producer wife we'll look at it together um wyoming lawmakers push for electric car ban and to limit sales by 2035 <clears throat> this was published january 17th of 2023 uh scroll down for us a little bit and then uh just real quick we can look at this together uh oh look nissan recalls some cars uh is there any is article coming up there yeah so let's see wyoming's vast stretches of highway coupled with lack of electric vehicle charging infrastructure make the widespread use of electric vehicles impracticable for the state. And so thus we should ban them. Okay. Um, I think it's a non-issue. There's all yeah. these bills or people who want to propose bills, crazy bills, you know, it's just, it's crazy stuff. It's not going to pass. I don't think. And yeah. nothing to worry about in my opinion. Yeah. You know? Same. It's just weird. It's just, you know, lobby groups just trying to protect their interests. Yeah. I think it's, it's really what's going on here. Okay. Thank you uh, for pulling that up. Uh, let's do the next question. And Tinelli, question. Why is Elon still so concerned with the current small population decline negatively affecting future labor supply if he's confident bots will be doing majority of that labor within 20 years? How do you think about this question? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, you know, because um, typically if you have such a, let's say, outsized elderly population, you don't have people to take care of the elderly population. And there's no, like, desire. Like, everyone's just supporting, you know, the elderly population, they're not building stuff and doing stuff, right? You're getting, you have a really messed up um, future there. But yeah, if, if humanoid robots are taking care of elderly and you do have really capable, you know, digital intelligence inside the humanoid robots, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think Elon tends to think more many, many hundreds of years or even thousands of years, you know, what will happen if the trend continues? Thus, you know, we need to change the trend. But yeah, interesting question. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's more just, uh, I think maybe Elon just really loves humanity and he doesn't, you know, he's talked about he doesn't want humanity to go out, uh, 
like in diapers in a whimper or something over time. So it's just maybe his love for humanity where he just wants people to be around. And perhaps in his head, he has a vision for people still being able to do things. But we'll see. It's it's concerning regardless, but um, we'll see how we, na- we navigate through it. Let's do the next one. Ba-ba-da-da. And Jay Lizard. Question. Can Dave interview uh, Leo Koguan again? Koguan Leo. Hmm. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder why he would ask that question. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'd be open to it. Yeah, I, I like, um, I yeah, I love just interviewing people with different perspectives. I learn a lot always. Um, and it's great to just, um, yeah, be exposed to different points of view. So, yeah, I'm open to it for sure. Have you been following that saga between Koguan and Elon on Twitter? All that stuff? Um, not too much. Like, I kind of stay away from, yeah, it's it's like... Smart. It's unfortunate. Um, I, 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 yeah, I kind of stay away from this stuff because I, I don't want to use too many like brain cells on stuff that <laughs> I can't like change or be productive with, you know? Um, yeah. So anyways. Smart man. You know what my wife's going to say once I jump off? Listen to Dave. Stop being on Twitter for so long. <laughs> Guaranteed. I could learn a lesson from that big time. I appreciate that answer. Uh, let's, do, uh, let's do a few more. Next question. Uh, Tom, shout out Tom Nash. Tell uh, tell Dave I bought the overpriced chair and Sony lens because of him, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Sounds like you give him some recommendations. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Thank Tom. you, Tom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the man. We uh, we actually him and I started the podcast together every Thursday. At oh, really? One or two o'clock. Yeah. So we just okay. chat about whatever. Yeah. Cool, cool. It's called the Brink. We have no idea what we're doing. We're just doing it for cool. fun. We'll see what happens. We'll see how quickly we get demonetized. <laughs> uh, let's do a couple more. Uh, Brad, question. How do you think Master Plan 3 connects Tesla to SpaceX and the boring company? Could it be via the Tesla bot? This is interesting because I think Elon in a, in a comment offhand said that it would it would involve all three entities. Do you think that's still the case? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking maybe boring company with mining, you know, um, uh, that might be interesting. Um, SpaceX, I don't know, internet somehow to either the car to cars or some other need for internet that maybe, I don't know. It's, um, but that, those two seems the, the most interesting, like if there is crossover, if they're, and if they're referred to in the master plan, like boring company specialty is digging, you know, and, um, tunneling and SpaceX's specialty is, is launching stuff in the, in, in space and in, and, and instant and basically satellite constellation internet. So, if there's some crossover, it might be between, you know, those areas somehow. Gotcha. Okay. This is the next one. Next question. Crest. How likely is it that we will see a new CEO compensation package tomorrow? It is very relevant to investors. That's a fascinating question. I have some thoughts about this. What, what? Yeah, uh, I don't think we'll see it tomorrow. It's not the right venue. Like that's like basically what happens with these CEO compensation plans is the board will draft something, you know? Mm. Um, and then they'll have like, an announcement, um, release the, the the plan, and then have a, a vote, right? A shareholder vote at the annual meeting. So, this is not the form to 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 release a, a compensation package, in my opinion. You think he'll you think he'll get one this year though, right? Because I think he hit all the tranches for the previous one. No. Yeah, I mean, he did. Yeah, he he's he's definitely hit all the tranches. Um, it's possible. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, definitely okay. possible. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, let's do two more. Let's do the next one. 
Uh, Eli, what if GM did not crush their EV1? Would there be a Tesla today? Yeah, I think the question is also like if there was, yeah, actually, if, if GM was a, a bit more competent of a company, meaning they actually cared more for their vehicles and they had a, a priority for EVs and they didn't crush their EVs, then I don't think, yeah, I, I don't know if Elon would have taken the, those steps, the radical risks and steps he, he needed to take to, to establish and to grow Tesla. Um, but I think it's a combination of not just like a lack of interest in EVs, but like just, it's not just a lack of interest, but a willful kind of rejection of it. And like this incompetence of just wanting the status quo, like these cars are generally like, they're not improving that much over 20 years, you know, it's just like similar. So you've got this incompetence, like this, I don't know, it's like oligarchy of an industry where um, you're just trying to preserve what you have. And then you're willfully, you know, rejecting the future of, of, of sustainable energy. That all of that combined is, I think, what um, allowed Elon to take the risks that he needed to. If you're not familiar with the backstory of this question and, and that are, for those of you that are watching, there's a documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car? I think it's on Netflix. I forget exactly where it airs. It gives you some some context and insight into uh, why this question comes up. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't want to get uh, spoil it too much if you haven't seen it yet. It's, it's a fascinating story. Um, all right, let's do the last question and then uh, we'll go to some closing thoughts. Uh, thank you, David. Question, will Tesla make a commercial Sprinter van based on Cybertruck platform like the 3Y share? There's been like a lot of speculation about this, a larger SUV, like a Tahoe style. What, where's your, where's your head at with this? Yeah, I definitely think um, we're going to see a, a, a Sprinter van type of uh, van uh, soon, soon, maybe within a year um, announcement. Um, will it be based on the Cybertruck platform? Possibly, um, maybe similar chassis. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely possible to be based on that platform. Um, in terms of, yeah, I'm I'm more I'm really curious like how far Tesla is going to be able to take the folding steel um, approach, like how many different types of vehicles and like and what advantages are they going to really realize? You know, in terms of costs or you know capex or efficiencies like this is going to be interesting so i think yeah the cyber truck ramp is gonna i think gonna show a lot of interesting stuff awesome awesome man well thank you so much thank you so much everybody who asked a question dave i really appreciate you man you've been so gracious with your time always great chatting with you um we'll Bye. see you tomorrow at clive uh, for those of you that uh maybe caught us a little bit later uh we're having a uh, all-day event at clive bar in downtown austin uh, doors open at two o'clock. Uh, I'll be doing a pre-show. We'll be live streaming the investor day, the entirety of it to the bar. We'll do a post discussion as well. Uh, and then we'll have Dave, Rob, Sandy, Dan Ives, uh, Sam Kors from ARC and Pierre Farragut from New Street. Dan Ives is from Wedbush. Um, uh, at around eight o'clock central, we'll do a, a main panel. And all of this will also be live streamed to this channel. So in case you can't make it to Austin, uh, you'll be able to watch this uh, on this channel as well. So any closing thoughts, Dave, uh, before we uh, we go tomorrow and uh, meet a bunch of wonderful people? Yeah, yeah. No, if you're coming to Austin, um, yeah, welcome to the city. And uh, we hope to meet you in person. Uh, shout out to um, your producer wife. She does a fantastic job. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. A great job. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's do it again. Awesome, man. Thank you so much again. Thank you, everybody in the comments. Uh, thank you, Mod, so much for uh, keeping the conversation super healthy in the comments as always. Again, thank you again, Dave, for making the time. And producer wife, as always, great job. Thank you so much. And uh, there's her clapping. Perfect. <laughs> Look at how high tech we are. <laughs> uh, we'll see you tomorrow, guys. Thank you all so much. Have a great one. Uh, we'll see you around. Take it easy, everybody. Cool.